Howdy everyone, it's Keenan over at Lateral Limits, your friendly neighborhood SOT. This is now our third episode of the podcast entitled Cheap Therapy. And for this podcast, uh, for this episode of the podcast, it's going to be a little different than the last two. I've brought in a guest uh, for this one. And the guest that I've decided to bring in for our first episode really has a lot to do with my business as well as the podcast in general. So I've decided to bring in my wife, Janae, for this third episode of the podcast. And fun fact, Janae has really was the one that one pushed me to start my own business as well as pushed me to start my own podcast. So without further ado, uh, Janae, want to tell everyone, hey. Hey guys, it's me. Your favorite out of the two. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. So my better half has decided to join us today and we're going to ask some budding questions into sort of spousal support as far as uh, entrepreneurship and starting your own business. So if you guys listened to my first episode of the podcast, you really listened to what I had to say as far as spousal support and the support of well, I guess, you know, the, the overall encouragement of your support system, whether whomever, whomever that may be. So for me, it's obviously my wife, my partner in crime. And so we're going to kind of dive into it a little bit and start off uh, by asking you, um, do you remember the conversation that we had when I sort of, we sort of first decided that this was the right route for us to open a business? Yeah. We're in the apartment back in good old apartment days and you would come home complaining. And sort of I guess that's where it really starts off for most people, right? Is that you complain about your, your day job. <laughs> and I guess for me, you know, like I came home, I complained about my job that I had at the time and how I had great ideas, but no one's quite willing to run with your own ideas like you are. And most spouses would basically push their significant other to find a new job. But what was it that was different for you? And why did you push me to start my own business to that point in our lives? Because it was the same thing with your other jobs, right? So I think it's good to add a backstory to your careers. You've been through it all. Just kidding. But so when you first went to college, you were going for. Well, the first time I went to college was for, was for journalism. So broadcast, like kind of broadcasting. Yeah. And my mother always said I had a face for radio. So. Oh my God. You just me with words. <laughs> so no. So, so the first time I went to school was for broadcasting. I, I got out of broadcasting. I joined the oil field for three years, got laid off. Then you and switched over. Realized so. I wanted to work in the air conditioning for the rest of my life. So. Not really, because then you did construction. And I did after I got laid off. You worked at a resort. Yeah, I worked at a, at an RV park. I was a manager at an RV park for a couple years. And then worked. you went to Caleb's. And then I got a job in the air conditioning, <laughs> working at a gun store. And then that's when, you know, you finish college and you decide to move out here. But through that whole journey, I think each one you have like ideas that you wanted to do. But like you said, again, that someone wouldn't want to run with your own ideas. And I think you had ideas, but I always dreams like not not I dream, but 
that's not a good word to say. I always saw you doing something else. I saw you always chasing a different goal, especially after. So I think a huge changing point was when you got out of the military. And I think like there was some, not regret, but like you missed like the coaching aspect and working with the guys and stuff and just running things, like having something that you could run because you would obviously, when y'all would go to the field and do like all the arranged stuff, you would run that. And I just always saw you doing something different. And I think you hadn't really found what you wanted to do. Like, I think for me, when I got into teaching, you saw that it was something for me. Like, you were like, okay, this is what she wants to do for the rest of her life. This is her. This is her dream. This is her goal. These are her passions. But I didn't see that with you, with these other places. Like, I can never see you just moving up on these chains at those places and getting a higher job over there. I just saw something different. And then when you came home that day, I looked at you and I was like, okay, well, why don't you open your own business? Well, look, you gave me. I still can kind of remember. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that decision for us was pretty pivotal because we didn't move to Texas to join, like to start a business. No, and I, I didn't realize that. I thought you eventually would want, I think I thought in the back of my head, you always wanted to. So maybe that was just something why, like that's probably why I asked you to do that. Because in the back of my mind, I always saw you opening up some sort of aspect, like whether it was coding, whether it was um, doing the um, courses, <coughs> And training people, I just always saw you opening up a business through there. I don't think I ever just was like, man, you should open up your own gun store. But I definitely saw you opening up your business. You really did well with Coding, And so you... But I had almost no intention no. of doing that again. And I even tried to stall it for a while. Because when we left Louisiana, I sold all of my Coding equipment. But you're great at it. Like you, my ovens, my <laughs> my stencil maker, my programming. I even sold all my stencil designs. I sold everything. I had no intention of doing coding ever again. And even when, even after I started my gun store, I tried really hard to find a subcontractor. But I think I thought you would have opened business solely over that. And I mean, profit margins and just that are really great. But I mean, why be a one-trick pony in 2022? No, but that's I saw you doing something like because I, I liked watching, oh my God, the journey with learning coding. If you could have been in our house back in Louisiana, when you were learning how to Saracote, that, that was, that was tough. I think it was mostly just me learning like armory work, taking apart guns and putting them back together. That was such, like, an alcoholic time in my life. I, I remember, I had, so, fun fact, when I first started Cerakoting, I had a home-based FFL, and I did all of my Cerakote work, other than, like, the actual, like, sandblasting and, and painting, but, like, pretty much all, like, the gun work, I did out of a seven-foot by seven-foot shed that was underneath our carport. And I had a workbench in there and one a one light bulb light that was above my workbench. <laughs> and it was so often that I'd be like, 
disassembling a gun or assembling a gun and I would lose a part like a, a spring, spring a, a spring. spring would hit me in my chest <laughs> while I'm assembling something and fly off into the abyss that was my seven foot by seven foot shed I would look for this thing for hours like multiples I would go inside of the house furious Ready to just break down a wall. <laughs> Ready to like end my soul. <laughs> and Janae would be like, okay, what happened? And I would simply be like, hey, listen, you know, this spring hit me in the chest. She'd be like, okay, what does it look like? I would pull up a schematic for whatever gun it was. Let's say it was, you know, Glock 19. I would, I would pull up a schematic for this Glock. I would show her what the spring looked like. She'd be like, okay, Keenan, here's a beer. She would open, like literally crack me open a beer, sit me down on the couch, and be like, okay, calm down. I'm going to go look for it. She would look for this shit for like 10, maybe 20 seconds. Come back into the house. Is this what you're looking for? Prouder. <laughs> prouder than if she had just negotiated a ceasefire. Of World War Three, And you'd scream, where'd you find that? <laughs> and she would be like, oh, it really wasn't that hard. If you opened your face <laughs> and looked, you would find it. And I think that was the funniest part. And honestly, that's probably part of the reason why I had no intention of ever getting back into service. But it taught you, it also taught you a lot of patience. <laughs> I remember one time I came in. You hadn't even told me what it looked like, but I just spotted it in the bin and I picked it up and I put it behind my back and you're like, I can't find this piece. I literally just put it up behind my back and say, is this what you're looking for? The face that you made, I thought you were going to like throw something. You were just like, how did you find it so quickly? And I was like, um... Well, I just saw it when I walked in, but it taught it taught me a lot of like of what to know now going into the business, just like learning your when like weaknesses and strengths, and learning patience and stuff with you. What I suck at. But I definitely thought I really thought you were gonna open up a business doing this because you and not even over that, you did really well on teaching yourself and learning what worked, what didn't. And you were really self taught on doing that. So I thought you were gonna open that up when I mentioned it. And then you just ran with the idea of opening up kind of like a man's store, which you say that a lot, but I really don't think it's a man's store. I think it's really anybody's store because a lot of people come and they find comfort in your store, like women, men, kids. I mean, it's kind of overall, but no, I, I definitely sat you down because I felt like you weren't happy with where you were. And I thought that opening up a business would be the gateway to getting you to where you want to be. And kind of piggybacking off of that, you know, talking about how it was kind of not in our plan, but rather God's plan, but like not really in our plan to open a business in Texas, because that's not at all what we intended, right? Uh, the first job that I got offered was with State Farm in Arizona after I graduated college, which I formally accepted, fun fact, and then 24 hours later, I called the recruiter back to decline the offer 
And then probably about two weeks later, I got offered the job with Cedar Cove in East Texas, you know, doing their marketing and sales and guiding hunts. And it was a pretty dynamic role, which we accepted. And I worked with them for some time. And I'm very thankful for that. And I, I learned a lot about Texas in general. Much through, more than I did. Through that job. And, I mean, obviously it was that specific job that brought us to Texas. Yeah, because you were up here before us. You moved right. up. You... I moved up in February of 2020. And you and the kids didn't move up till the better part of June. May about May with because that's when COVID kind of happened so I was able to step away from the school back at home but you wanted to try it out so that was another very hard time in our life because we rarely saw you while you were up here just trying to see if this could be something which I do appreciate it was it sucked but I'm glad that you were able to come up here and give it a chance to see if it would be something that you would be interested in. Because you know I could find a job anywhere. There's always going to be jobs. But it was seeing if you would like it. And so what about it do you think it will? Like, like we, we moved to Texas not to open a business. What do you think about me us moving to Texas and then opening a business in an unknown place? Like, what do you think makes that so successful for us? And do you think that we would be where we're at if we opened up the same business in Lafayette, Louisiana? Yeah, so that's like two deep questions. Cause I feel like we could talk hours and hours about the pros and cons of that. So to make it as short and simple and sweet, it's... Yeah, it was hard to be able to open up business away from the comfort of my home and my family and my friends because you're trying to get to know a new state, a new town, a new way of life, being on your own, trying to navigate things. And I just don't think you could have done this back at home. And I, I think that all goes back to you not knowing anyone out here, so you really had to put yourself out there. So a lot of the marketing that you did was through Facebook, through sometimes kind of Instagram. I know Instagram didn't let you promote, but you were putting stuff out there. Then you were just meeting up with people and you know spreading the word by mouth, just letting people know what you were doing, what you were opening. And so you really put yourself out there with meeting people, and trying to bring people into the business where I feel like back at home, it wouldn't have been the same thing. For one, we wouldn't have been able to stay where we're from and open the business being so close to um, where you previously worked. We needed to pull away and go somewhere else. Um, and so I just don't see you being as successful back at home, especially dealing with um, people from the area and I know we had commented on this about like the jealousy and stuff there's just people in life who do not want to see you be successful who do not want to see you grow and that's anywhere you're going to find that anywhere but being from small town if you're from a small town I think you can relate because everybody knows everybody everybody knows your business anything that like you mess up on or a mistake you make your business is put out there 
some people just aren't open-minded. They're very closed off to things. And so out here, I didn't think you had such a negative take from people. People were very opening. People uh, were very welcoming to accept you and to just put their faith and trust in you. I remember the first week you opened up. I think you thought you were going to be like slammed with people, not like a thousand people up in there, but you definitely thought that you were going to have a bunch of people in there. And it took time. You slowly had people trickling in. You slowly had your repeat customers. Yeah, I still just, remember my, my first day open. Yeah, one person. I sold one <laughs> knife. <laughs> one single knife. It was a Cobra Tech knife. And I wasn't, I was really only open. It was a so, soft opening. Yeah, for my soft opening, I was supposed to be open from 2.30 to 5.30 or 2.30 to 6.30. No, I think 2.30 or 5.30 my first day. Yeah, it was very sharp. Yeah, it was just like a quick down and dirty, like, hey, here's who I am. And I had a customer come in at 9 in the morning. We weren't <laughs> even open yet, and he wanted to buy a knife. And the credit card machine didn't even work. I remember that. And I was losing my mind about it. So that was my first day. I sold one knife. And my second day, I was open from 9.30 to 5.30. And I didn't sell a damn thing. And that's okay. I had customers come in, which was great. I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't sell a single thing. So it was. It was super stressful. It was. It was more stressful. Whereas, like, okay, so back at home, you know, you'd have had family and friends pop in just to say hi. They might have even bought anything, but you definitely would have had more people pop in if you would have this at home. But right. being as big as it is right now, I don't think so. And that's just my take on it. I think. Some people might say otherwise, but I don't think it could have grown as quickly as it grew um, in the two years, almost two years that you've been open. Yeah, it's definitely, it's done better. You know, the business has done better in the last two years than I definitely think it would have at this point. You know, and it obviously didn't take long. And obviously we, we, we had a hard time with like marketing because obviously gun stores have a hard time doing like you know, Facebook ads, Instagram ads. You get a bigger back. You know, I have a little bit of luck on TikTok. Um, not for long. But not, yeah, exactly right. They, they, they like to ban my accounts every so often. But um, there's certain posts that I can boost on TikTok as long as they have zero to do with my actual business. But at least I can slightly get my name out there for some things. Yeah. But as far as like opening a business in a completely unknown place, I think it's more beneficial than anything else. And actually, I talked to someone who owns a home-based like FFL style thing in Rockwall. And he was talking about moving to Florida. And he basically was like, well, I don't want to, because I asked him, I was like, well, are you going to do the same thing in Florida? Like open like a sort of SOT, FFL, selling thermal, stuff like that in Florida. He's like, well, no, I don't know anyone there. I don't want to do that. I was like, I don't know, bro. Like that kind of sort of made who we are because we didn't know anyone. You know, yeah. we were like the new kid on the block, which a lot of people appreciate. I Someone think. wants somebody new. You always kind of yeah, want Yeah, so you, you have like the new kid on the block, which granted, I mean, there really wasn't that many gun stores at the time that we tried to open. So that really was beneficial to us. But anyway, I digress. Um, one thing that I kind of am always been curious about is like, what would 
you know, what would 27-year-old Keenan have told me now? Like, well, what would I want to tell my younger self? Like, what sort of advice would you want to tell, like, younger Janae or younger Keenan? When, before we even open, what would you wanted to have told yourself knowing what you know now? I would have told you a lot. <laughs> no. But like I, so for me and you, it'd be two different things. So for me, it would just be to breathe and to have that patience because it's not easy opening a business. It's not easy being out here and learning a new place and you learning the business. And I am so grateful for the people who recognize, I mean, you do, you give me a lot of thanks, um, but I love when people come up that like just some of your family because I've had one who's had like a really good conversation with me about it and just like wow like it's amazing what you do behind the scenes because you know everyone sees you in the storefront but like I'm like most of the time at home doing the housework cleaning doing the cooking with the kids just basically holding the family together and not like I'm saying you wouldn't do it for me because you did do it for me when I started my teaching career. Um, But there's a whole operation that goes on at home and it comes with a balance of learning to give and take. There might be days where I'm doing a lot extra through the house, but like you're at work handling things like it's, you have to understand that I can't always call that person so like I think people just think oh I can call you and you can hurry up run and step away from the business well you were the only person that was there at the business half the time and so you couldn't always come and rescue us you know if like I needed some help with something and I was just exhausted you couldn't run you know shut down the shop and come over here and there's times that I was just exhausted after leaving at 7.30 in the morning to start heading to work, dropping off the kids. Then I get to school and then, you know, with the school life, I, you know, you don't hear from me because we're constantly going literally from bell to bell to bell to bell. And then the second the bell would ring, I'd sprint out, go to your shop, pick up the kids, come home, you know, get here with the dogs take care of their stuff, take care of homework, start cooking, start cleaning, preparing, getting clothes in. And it was just really lonely. I just felt alone sometimes. And it's not intentional with you. You were just trying to get your business running, trying to find a balance between things. And so it can get exhausting. It can get lonely. And I think sometimes I just forgot to breathe and have patience that this would all work out in the end, that it would all be okay in the end. Because when you're just going through it and you've had those rough days, it's exhausting just sitting down on a couch and it's just me. And I've put the kids to bed and I'm waiting on you. Like, I depend on you for a lot. And I think that's what has helped build our relationship from where it was back at home. You know, when people first met us till now, our relationship has changed so much because I've become dependent. You're my person and I'm your person, you know. I go to you for everything because we're right here with each other. The closest person we have is about 50 minutes away. So the dependency that you have on me and that I have on you has increased greatly to where I think it's made our communication much better, which has helped your business become 
much better. And see, for me, I think it was, it's like completely the opposite. Like the advice that I would give myself. Because focusing on the like operational side of the business, Mm -hmm. I feel that I wish I could go back in time to tell myself to stop stressing about money. As far as like the initial startup fund for the business, Mm -hmm. because I had set aside so much money to start up the business. And then from that startup fund, I set up aside all sorts of money because I thought for some reason that the business would incur some outlandish expense. Yeah, you were very careful. I wish I would have been a bigger risk taker because I'm like, look, because I had opportunities to spend money on products that were pretty hard to get at the time. Yeah, you'd say no. And I would tell my distributors like, no, I don't think I want that. I'm going to pass on this. Whereas in reality, I wish I would have taken the money, invested it in my own business and had products to sell as opposed to keeping $20,000 in the business checking account at all times because I thought that the air conditioner would just spontaneously combust for the business. Yeah, but I think so what's worked for us in this situation and a lot of people have heard me say this to you and I'm such a believer on it. I definitely think that you have to roll with the mindset of just God has your back. I'm such a firm believer in that. And so um, there's a couple stories I can go off of that. But there's times where like Keenan would be like, only one customer came in today. Like, and he was like, bro, only one customer came in. Like, we didn't really do that well. And I always stop him and I'm like, thank God for that one customer. Because that one customer can go and turn around and talk to 10 people. Or a hundred people, you know, just be thankful for that one person coming in. But something even as simple as that, like, you know, the air conditioner breaking, I just see it as, okay, I'm going to put it in God's hands and something always becomes of it. Like I always talk about that situation when um, Trevor had uh, taken in that gun and you said he took in more than I think what it was worth or something like that. I think is what you had said that like it was he he basically gave the guy more than what it was worth right, or something like right. that and so you were like bro like I won't I won't be able to sell it for that and everything and I was just like Keenan like don't even stress over that like they obviously needed the money more like don't worry about it God has you it is going to be okay and I'm just a firm believer I know some people are different with their beliefs and that's just what I've always gone into it and so I told him that and literally I think it was maybe a week later you had posted it and it sold for exactly how much he had given the person like exactly how much like you easily yeah like i like broke even yeah you got them and like i have to remind you sometimes of just being grateful and thankful like not like i'm saying you you get like um selfish or you forget but sometimes i have to remind you that if you just throw it in god's hands i'm really you know i'm big about like good karma 
what you put out into the world is what I think that you're going to get in return. So I'm always big to you about just doing good, being a good person. And I think you'll always go very far in life. And even in your business, if you're always being good, if you're being selfish and doing certain things that you know isn't right, I think that's when you start meeting your downfalls in the business industry. So I think I would have told you to remind you, as long as you have good intentions and a good heart behind it and doing what's right, then I think you'll always win in the end. And I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, I try to be anyway. You really are. You And I don't think it's very, it's, I mean, you might complain from time to time, like I said about the not one customer not coming in, but it's so funny because you have that day where you're like, oh, I only had one customer. like, And then the next day you have like four Five customers or like 10 customers. Right, which I think, uh, so there was like two like really big like defining moments in my business. None of which had really anything to do with me, but one was, so with one of my distributors, if you spend more than a hundred thousand dollars a year, you get promoted to, it's called a key dealer status, which becoming a key dealer, you get like very nominal sort of discounts. Like I'm talking like 1% discounts on everything, but among other things, you can unlock certain rewards. And for one of the major things that really helped out my business was my rep had called me. So we opened in September of 20 and in like February of 21, my rep called me to say that they were, I'm sorry, not February, April, April or May of 21. My rep called me to say that yeah, it was in like I was on pace to becoming a key dealer. Like at the time that he called me, he's like, Hey, you need a hundred grand in sales a year. You're at like 51 right now. And we're like four months into the year. So obviously you're on pace to spend a hundred thousand with us. So we're going to prematurely promote you to a key dealer. And you definitely didn't think you were going to spend that. Yeah. So I was now like, looking ah, back, you're like, oh. right. Yeah. So, so far this year, fun fact, uh, I've spent three hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. You what? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I could have paid off my house. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But so he promoted me earlier to a key dealer status, and I think that honestly was the first like defining moment of my business. You were so excited. because he unlocked us to join. It was called an e-show, which e-shows basically this distributor they unlock certain things that you can't normally see and order through this yeah, website. You, can, you get a jump on things. So with the e-show, it was like five days long, but the first day was strictly for key dealers and above. Yeah. It was that the day that you almost had forgot to get on? Yeah, I, I forgot to log on. <laughs> it was a Monday. That. Yeah, it was a Monday, which my shop's closed on Monday, and I just remembered, oh shit, it's the like e-show thing. Yeah, and you hurried up and jumped so on. So I hurried up, hopped on. I hopped onto the website and I ordered the website was super slow because they had everyone and their mom trying to log on. So I ordered all kind of shit. And I remember I ordered probably, I was able to order myself probably 12 or 13 handguns and like three or four long guns, yeah. which at the time that the e-show was taking place, 
we had two, two 9mm handguns in stock. Both CZ, I still remember them, CZ P07 and a CZ P10S. And that was it. I had two 9mm handguns. Now, I remember when the shipment came in, it was so many. So Trevor was working with you then. Right. And I remember when it came, and I was like, why do you have so many? Because I got all excited. I even told Trevor, I'm like, bro, I ordered 13 yeah. handguns. And, he, and Trevor was like, dude, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I'm telling you, I was. we had the e-show thing. I ordered 12 or 13 handguns. And then I my distributor. I was like, are you crazy? Why do you have so many? Yeah. And then my <laughs> distributor called me the next day to say that he actually set aside another 12 yeah for us or it no, no i'm sorry it was 15 because i had a total of 27 it handguns that came in that day that day you and trevor stayed later adding in all acquiring and i remember and taking all those handguns <laughs> took up both of those display cases like over the top of them yeah. while we were we were acquiring them and everything and i honestly think that that was like that was that was such a major yeah. turning point for my business. I was like, are you going to have to get another safe? Because <laughs> it was so many And that was in. crazy. I had spent more money in that one day than I did in most months. Yeah, never, yeah. And that bill. <laughs> which it did suck that it came in, but out of those 27 guns, I think I sold six that day. Yeah. So because you had posted them and I right, I had like posted this. I went on like Facebook Live and we had posted about it or whatever. And I just think that like as a business owner, you have so many negative days, and it can become such a burden on yourself that you're like, man, I don't know if I can make it. But it only takes it takes that one that one turning point for a business to really solidify your place in a market. And for us, it was that e show. It was that e show. That yeah, really solidified us in the firearms industry in Garland, one, because ever since then, I've never had less than probably 15 handguns in inventory, and yeah. it only has gone up drastically since then. Oh, I think yeah. yesterday, uh, we had 74 handguns on deck. Yeah, it's a lot. But I mean, it's it's gradually progressed, but it was that e-show that turned yeah. it around for us. If you go and look at like his pictures when he first opened till now, it's really like night and day. It's polar opposites, and it shows the growth of a business and of someone who I don't feel like when you first opened, I don't know if you were super confident. Like there were days you question and you're like, you look at me and you're like, did I make the right decision? I mean, like, like, I'm talking this... like signing the lease. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had negative thoughts. I'm like, there's no way we're going to make it. Crazy but, thing. You but, signed, but then what happened like a week later? Right. You got a job offer. I signed a lease. I signed the lease. And then a week later, I got a job offer. A job you would have liked I would have jumped on it in yeah. a heartbeat. I, we I, I got offered the job as the chief armor for all of Florida State Police. Making $80,000 a year. It was like by Miami? No. Um, Tampa. 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 There you go. As the chief armor, I got offered making 80, 80 plus grand a year. Sitting and in an armor. you by yourself Alone and afraid, running ranges. Like, what a dream job for me. And like, if, if you know me personally, stopped, yeah. that is my dream job. And I was offered that almost two weeks after I signed my lease. Yeah. And... And we would have. I wanted to cry. It, you would have jumped like if we were back at home in Louisiana. You would have jumped on it. And if you hadn't opened the lease, like done the lease, like I you thought about taking twenty five thousand dollars out of my savings account to pay off like <laughs> the early penalties for the lease. You definitely. I remember when they um, your friend called you and you got the call. You looked over at me and you're like, 
you'll never believe this. And you're like, do you want to move to Tampa? And I was like, wait, what? Like I had, I had already gotten the job working out here as a teacher. We had the apartment. We had the dogs out. Well, one dog. We had the kids out here. We had already started enrolling them in school. We had already started finding doctors um, for our son. If you don't know, he has autism. And so, like, we had stuff that we were having to line up just through, like, different things, getting Phoebe adjusted and but everything. But I just think, again, like, that was a major deciding factor for us. Mm -hmm. Like, that was probably the first major one because I obviously turned down the job. Crazy. And I was like, no, like I've decided, like God's tugged on my heart. I want to start my own business. You thought about that for a week. I told you, think about it for a oh, week. Oh, easily. Think about it. When easily. you got the call, you told him wait. And I just week. said, you know, like, no, like I, I feel like if I don't do this now, like yeah. if I don't at least try to open my business now. you can now, do this again. I would regret it for the rest of my life. So I turned it down. And then that was a major deciding factor. The e-show was the second one. And I think the third which was probably the most important, I think, which solidified us, which was different than just as a gun store in Garland, but the Silencer Co. BOGO. Yeah, that brought in. That so was the, insanity. The, the, so in this November of 2021, so approaching a year now, Silencer Co., which is by far our best suppressor manufacturer that we sell easily we're a big silencer silencer go shop um they announced that they were doing a buy one get one promo which i had originally posted on tiktok which overnight exploded yeah i think overnight we got like 1400 shares and like Seventy-five thousand views on that one TikTok that we made, just talking about the BOGO, which was subsequently taken down, and that was part of the reason we got banned. But semantics. It was a game changer. So that BOGO, basically, you know, basically with Silent if you spend, uh, I think it was five hundred dollars or more, between five hundred and seven ninety-nine, you got a free twenty-two can. If you spent eight hundred or more, you got a free. Octane 45 or Octane 9 can, which was a handgun suppressor. And that BOGO, I think we ended up selling, I think, so 48 crazy. suppressors yeah. off of just the BOGO. And that... It was insanity. That there, I got... I From that, especially from that TikTok, I got phone calls from all over the United States. All over. Like, that morning Asking. when I went... When I came into work, I had 42 emails... And about 13 or 14 missed calls. I tried calling him back. I couldn't keep up. I had to get Trevor to come into the shop because yeah. I was scheduled to work by myself that day. I had to have Trevor come in just to help me return phone calls. I yeah, had people calling people. from Alaska, Comments, California. Missouri, yeah, all over the country asking me because I guess they just thought that like only yeah, lateral Florida, limits was doing the BOGO. Louisiana. When in reality, it was a national thing. We were giving people advice all over the country about how to apply for this buy one, get one. And, and like on all sorts of Facebook, Instagram, oh, all over the TikTok, place. emails, all over phone the place. calls, text messages. And so I had people placing orders for suppressors. I had a dude from Arkansas buy a can off my website. I had to call him. I had to basically reject the order <laughs> because it was beneficial to him. Yeah. I could be like, look, bro, I mean, I'm, I'll happily process the order, but by the time the suppressor gets to you, the bogo will be over. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reject the order, help you out. 
Yeah, Please place an order with a dealer near you. That way you can get qualified for the BOGO. But I think by doing that BOGO, and a lot of dealers didn't want to really mess with it. No, I remember the first day you did it, and I kind of questioned it. And I was like, man. Like, the I first, yeah, the first day that I really announced it and started, we sold 14 suppressors. And that was on a Saturday. Yeah. So from 9.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., I sold 14 cans in one day. And these are all like Omegas, like $900, $900 suppressors. No, you. We sold fourteen cans in one day, and that's to the time that we kind of did that. Your dad was up here, so there was like three of y'all at the shop, and you strictly made your dad do one job. Yeah, my dad only could do out. like, and I mean, obviously, my my dad. If you're listening, Dad, I love you, and like honestly, do that week that you were with us Happy. was so beneficial to us. My dad doesn't know shit about guns. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't know shit about guns, but I taught him how to do fingerprints. Man was rolling them fingerprints through. And this man (laughs) was lighting it up. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I I probably paid off that fingerprinting machine in the week that my old man was up here. Oh, yeah. That $6,500 that $6, investment was probably the best $7,000 I ever spent in my life. It made and it dude, easy. I literally think my dad paid that, that, that bitch off. Oh, just staying in the back and just... He just lighting it up. As soon as he was done with the yeah. next person... Hey, sir. So he, like, he, he was only up because um, our youngest one's uh, daycare was closed. And so we normally get Kenan's mom to come up because they're both retired. So he came and I was like, you know, Kenan might need some help with these suppressors coming through. Kenan was so busy. Him and Trevor could never leave the shop ever because they were constantly just handling these things, busy with stuff. And between him and Trevor, they were, Keenan and Trevor, they were really going like crazy, just handling all these things. So like we had to get some whiteboards in the pack. It almost looked like school back there. Y'all were putting like whiteboards to keep up. It was so much that they couldn't even remember. And you're good with remembering things. But, like, it was so busy that I like, had to go get a whiteboard, one of those old school whiteboards, put it up. And then I was like, I don't think that's going to be enough. Next thing you know, he went and get two more whiteboards. And those things were filled up. And, I mean, obviously, just... so the big thing for, like, the gun industry, uh, especially for, like, us, is um, margins on guns is, isn't that good. It's no. abysmal, actually. But I think suppressors, think they are. Yeah. Yeah. Margins on guns are terrible. Like, I'll be honest. Uh, I, on average, average probably between ten and fourteen percent yeah. on a gun. So, do you even tell people what your main like thing is that you make the most money? No, of? not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but like, honestly, like coffee. Yeah, I was about to say. I think marginally, think it's the I probably make the most money off of coffee than anything else. People have to think it's easily the guns. And oh like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I had a guy come in today. He bought he bought a barrel. He bought a two hundred fifty dollar barrel, and he even said, and I didn't want to correct him, but he's like, I don't know what your margins is, but I mean, you probably easily made a hundred twenty five dollars off that barrel, sir. Please. And I didn't want to like break his heart, but like, man, like I probably paid, and I had that barrel for a long time. Like I probably had the barrel that he bought. I probably had for a year. And I probably paid $210, $215 for that thing. Sold yeah, it for so... two fifty after having it for a year. Yeah. So But I was like, ah, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll let him I'll let him have his moment in the sun. But like the big thing is like suppressors marginally are awesome. And that's yeah. that's why I obviously wanted to get into Jumped the into NFA game. Too. 
But the main thing is that most people don't want to get into the NFA stuff because the, the paperwork is such a pain. You gotta you know? be careful with everything on and there. And I think that's what sets us apart, obviously, other than everything else that we sell. But the fact that that is like, I, I'm not afraid to get into that NFA game. But and it's not even like, it wasn't even for the money aspect of it. You were very interested in doing it just at a time where you would have the the time to deal with it all. Like, I don't think right. it was ever think, about the money. I think if you... I can go back two years from now, I would just tell myself, like, Keenan, once, once you're comfortable enough to get into the NFA game, the game's going to change for you. Yeah. And it really has, like, for the most part. I mean, other than... Other than like GT distributors in the other side of Garland, we're really the only NFA person in all of Garland. But it can be scary. I feel like like before getting I mean, in can. with all the paperwork and it stuff, can. just the whole your business that you do is a little bit scary because you got to dot your t uh, dot your t <laughs> dot your eyes, cross your t's. Right, you know, but you I mean be that, very that has to do with a lot. So anything, anything with anyone with the gun industry. But I think if I can go back in time, like personally, two years ago look myself in the face. I really wouldn't want to give myself too much information about like where we would be two years from now. No, because then you'd be like, you have to go through I would be it. too comfortable and I think I would be too afraid to take a risk. But I, I wish I could go back in two years and say, Keenan, don't be afraid to take more risk. Yeah, you've learned a lot. You've learned Because I would be in a vastly different place than we are now. It's very fun to sit there and like kind of be on like the back end of it and have you come and tell me things that you've learned like when you're like oh my god i haven't eaten for way too long i need to get it in and out of the door you like the other day it was i'm saying the other day it's probably about two months ago you were like i'm okay now with letting things sit because someone will come looking for it eventually and it'll sell like it's like it's really interesting to watch your like feedback going through it and and our, as a business owner i've really changed my dynamic on the way i look at a lot of things like if you would have come up to me a year and a half ago and like let's say i had a gun for sale for 5.99 yeah and you'd offer me 550 <laughs> i'd probably jump on it in a heartbeat <laughs> done i want to get the gun out the door yeah but where i'm at now is i'm totally past that point yeah as a business and aside from other things too, but I'm totally past that point in the business because I know that eventually someone's going to be willing to pay that full price, and someone's going to come looking for that specific. And thing. it might it might take a while, and it's yeah. true. Like for example, I had a I had a receiver set that sat for a year, almost a year, and so after a year, things become a bit of a liability for a gun store, and so I decided, you know what, screw it, I'm going to bring it home. I seracoded it. I went up on price $75, which covered the cost yeah, and my labor. I went up $75. So I had something that had been sent for $299 for a year. I went up to $375, and it sold in two days after I yeah. Cerakoted it. So I've learned that things can change. You know, like if, if it sits too long, luckily for me, I have a, a small niche, and that's Cerakote. So yeah. if a gun sits too long, I slap some Cerakote on it, come up some marginal percentage just to get the shit out the door and be done with it. And it's not even things can change, things will change. 
oh, the industry that you're in. Like I like sitting there and hearing about, I'm like, man, you're a little bit slow. And you're like, well, this time period, you know, and you learn about what, what kind of guns are in right now, what kind. And I mean, that changes. And, yeah. That like, changes so much. Like changes. a gun that sold really well for me for the first year and a half, it doesn't sell very well now. Yeah. And likewise, a gun that sells really well for me now, there's no way I could have sold it two years ago. And dynamics change, markets change, tastes change, a lot of things change. So speaking of change, with, with we're approaching the 50-minute mark now on the third episode of the podcast. So we're going to go to the last question that I have, um, and we're going to start closing. But if there's anything that you regret over the last two years, like let's say a decision that you made or advice that you gave or anything that you said, is there anything that you regret and that you would want to change over the last two years? Over the last two years of being an entrepreneur and, and, and watching me work in my own business, is there anything that you specifically, as my support person, is there anything that you would want to change? I don't think so. I probably have to sit a little bit longer on this. I don't think so. Because sometimes, you know, my perspective on things is kind of what you need. Sometimes my tough love is kind of what you need at the moment. Um, I feel like the journey has been a journey for both of us of finding ourselves. I think we've both truly found ourselves in who we are these past two years and learning what we want out of life and what we want to achieve and trying to find the best ways to communicate with each other and being supportive to each other, trying to find a balance and do we have it together? No. Are there times that I'm going to make like mistakes? Yes. But I think that's all part of the journey and growth of becoming who we are today is taking a look at my mistakes and turning to you and owning up to them and apologizing for them and being aware of them and grow myself more of who you need, like from like what you need, to, more like growing myself to be what you need at that moment and not to bend myself to be like all that you need, but to learn how to support you in areas that you need. Like you don't need me to be at the shop 24 seven next to your side, but there's times when you come home that you just need me to listen to you. And instead of me, like, Keenan, I've got to get this stuff done. Like, I have my own work stopping. And, okay, let me just listen to him and give him this 30 minutes and just walk him through it. I, I don't really regret much of it because it's got me to right here, right now. And I think where we are is a beautiful spot. It's been a beautiful I think, journey. I think for me personally, the biggest regret that I have previously and I think I'm getting better with it now is like taking work home. Yeah. So when I, I first started, you can, you I say that's a regret though. Well, no, I just, I feel that like when I first started, I really, I'm talking like someone would physically text the shop at two 15 in the morning and I would try to respond. You're jumping on it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, obviously like no, every, 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 everyone would understand that no business is going to answer a text message at 2.15 in the morning. morning. And I think for me, my biggest regret 
is the absolute need to get every sale at all times you when we time first opened. Us. Yeah. And I mean, although I do think that is that has something to do with where we are at now, looking back, I wish I wouldn't have sacrificed what little time. Because obviously as a budding business owner, you're going to be so constrained with time between whether it be time spent on your business or time spent with your family, that fine line of like, of me struggling to find a balance is tough. And I think when I first opened, I leaned more too much on the business side as opposed to, you know, spending time with my family. And And I I think my strive to get every sale could have been, could have, you know, I could have calmed down. Yeah. So, and, and to put it more in perspective, because it's hard if you don't understand. So there was time. So Keenan closes at six, um, from Tuesdays through Friday, Saturdays, he's closed at three thirty. but so he actually didn't always close at six. He used to close at six thirty. So then by the time he closed at six thirty, he has to take everything down. He's not finished doing that till about seven o'clock. Now that's if somebody's helping him. If he's by himself, guarantee you it's like forty five minutes easily, just saving up stuff and then whatever he has to do. So there would be times I text him, "Hey, are you on your way home?" And he was like, no, sorry, a customer just walked in right when I was closing. And this is at 6.30. So then by the time he finishes the sale with them, and now listen, when you come in to get a gun, when he runs all the stuff, sometimes it can be delayed. Sometimes it can go through. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. So as he's doing stuff, you know, he's dealing with all that. And there would be times he texts me, no, a customer just came in. And my take on it was, you need to shut the door. And his take on it was, well, no, I can't, I, lose, yeah, out on I can't lose that customer. I can't turn them away because what if they go down the street to Academy? And I, under, I understood where you were coming from, but I was, I was mean. I was definitely upset. I would get angry about it, but I don't regret doing any of that because I, I think it made you realize on the time lost. We went through a very a very rough first year um, and just of just losing people back at home and losing family members and not getting that time with friends and watching some of our friends' kids grow up without us. And I was just adamant on Keenan just being around at least with the kids and us getting the experience because he, he was so swamped in the business. I thought he was going to lose himself. That was all he was surrounding. He was drowning in just the business. Everything was business, business, business. And I, I think that if there's something that I could tell my younger self is that, you know, the, the business that I gained, I don't know if it was beneficial enough for me to have sacrificed that time. Yeah. I wish I would have taken a smaller step back, which obviously the first two years of any business is probably the most important when it comes to time spent with the business. And I don't regret spending as much time as I did with the business. I just wish that I would have spent more quality time with my family during those first two years, because obviously the, you know, those first two years, you know, Gunner was between seven and nine, mm-hmm. you know, Phoebe was between five and seven. So yeah. these are really influential times in my children's life. 
Yeah, and, and we had moved to a new place. It was just us out here. It's me and you. Right. So obviously, like when I got home, you know, Janae was super drained from the day as, as well as super drained from the night because I'm not there. And like I said, my, my biggest regret, and I'm not regretting the sales that I made, the the relationships that I've created during these last two years. I just, I really do wish that there were times where when, you know, if I close at 6.30, if a customer walked in at 6.28 to to start the background check on a, on a firearm, I wish I could have had the fortitude to be like, hey, bud, you know, yeah. Nick's background check stopped at 6.20. If you had an LTC, sure, let's do it at 6.28. But I, there were times where it's like, man, like I, I could have been home 45 minutes sooner had I turned down this sale. That sometimes I go through everything and they still get a delayed response and don't buy anything from me anyway. But anyway, we digress about it. It's a, you know, it's about time to start dialing back uh, on this episode um, of this podcast. So I'm very thankful that my wife was able to sit down. It's It's really rare that me and her get to sit down and have this sort of time with one another um especially with three kids two dogs with three kids all <laughs> three careers. of them are sleeping right now the two dogs are, are both passed out uh on the couch in the living room right now so it's it's really nice that we get to spend this time with one another and share this these moments because we've obviously gone so far from one another but this is one of those moments where it's like man it's, it's really nice to have that sort of support system that i really really do dove into uh, on that first episode and how important it is as an entrepreneur to have that sort of spousal support. So uh, we're going to start dialing down just a hair here in this third episode of our podcast. And uh, I really wanted to thank my wife, sweetheart. Thank you for, for taking the time. I know Janae, if, if you come, if you come to my shop, you really know that Janae's not really at the forefront of the operation. <laughs> she's, she's pretty shy. She, she doesn't really like to talk uh, as much to people. I'm, I'm a very, I'm, I'm She's much more of a uh, of an introvert I as I am. Uh, <laughs> so it's really sweet that, that I get to pull this sort of emotion out of her uh, for the sake of the podcast. And I know this is by far our longest episode we've had so far. So, But it's the best because it's me. Right. So uh, I, a big thank you for Janae for joining us on this episode and, and talking about this sort of spousal support system. And obviously my business would be nowhere near where it is today with, with if it wasn't without her. So guys, if you want to stay tuned for our next episode, I'm looking at bringing in my buddy John Pelletier. He's a real estate uh, broker. He's really going to talk about that sort of that sort of aspect when it comes to creating a business, whether it be a retail business or an office, uh, office space or manufacturing warehouse is sort of his niche in the market. But obviously, I'm a retail business, so we are going to try to dabble on that. So I did speak to John about hopping onto the podcast and talking about the real estate side and. You know, yes. negotiating certain things when it comes to leases and things. Awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So uh, I don't know if we'll do that episode this week or maybe the the, the beginnings of next week, but we'll look into that. And I do have a couple more people as well uh, to look into the podcast. So, guys, thank you so much for staying tuned to uh, this is episode three. Big thank you to Janae. Janae, if you want to say any closing remarks. I'm truly honored that I was the first guest. I mean, I just feel so special right now. And, you know, all my friends back at I'm home. I'm trying to get some brownie points with my wife. I made it, y'all. Mom, I made it. Dad, I made it. So the first ever, first episode, get, first ever guest 
on an episode of my podcast, which she made me do. Imagine you're welcome. That. You're welcome. And so, when you're on your thousandth episode, I just like give me some credit, okay? All right. All right, honey. Well, thank you so much for hopping on, everyone. Guys, thank you so much for staying tuned to our uh, first ever uh, first ever guest episode of our new podcast oh, entitled yeah. Cheap Therapy. Uh, which is sponsored solely by Lateral Limits of Garland, Texas. If you want to check out our website, it's laterallimits.com. You can give us a shout, 972-836-0565. We're located at 5219 Broadway Boulevard, Suite 103 in Garland, Texas, 75043. Guys, as always, we'll always close out our podcast with the Suicide Prevention Hotline, uh, which is simply 988. It's a new shortened number. It's a new shortened number. So if, guys, if you have any issues in life and you just really feel like sort of you're in a really dark place and you feel like your life would be better if it were to end, I promise you it is not. Okay. Uh, if you call that number 988, there will be someone on the other end of the line who can talk you off that ledge or hopefully talk you off of it and, and sort of talk about different options in your life and things. But Again, if you guys are feeling any sort of doubtness or darkness in your life, uh, feel free to give that number a shout, 988. Uh, or, shit, give us a call at the shop, 972-836-0565. We'll be more than happy to take some time out of our day to, to talk to you guys. So, guys, as always, uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Cheap Therapy, uh, and stay groovy. <laughs>